Welcome back, everyone, to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. Thanks so much for joining me as we dive deeper into Paul's letter to the Galatians and our study, No Other Gospel. I really hope you're getting something out of this. I really hope that uh, through our study and diving into Paul's words, you're really getting a grasp for the true nature of the gospel and its ability to free people from sin and how that has an effect on how we live that out in the lives of others. Paul has an excellent way of explaining this, and and as you've been tracking along with us, I think it's just very helpful to, to stop and consider the implications of such a powerful gospel message. So I'm glad you're with us as we continue now with the second half of Galatians 3. And believe me, Paul is just getting started with the good stuff. But before we get too far into that, I do want to make an announcement uh, about a new feature we're going to be starting here on the podcast called Any Questions? This feature is an opportunity for you, the listener, to engage with me on a wide variety of topics, either from the current study that we're doing or maybe something completely different. Maybe you'd just like to to hear some thoughts about some of the things that have been on your mind, topics that you've been maybe struggling with, or questions that you have from your reading of the Bible. Now, you can ask these questions and get the questions to us, either by commenting directly to us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, You can comment directly on our page on Facebook or tag us in a post, however you want to kind of get in contact with us to ask that question. But you can also do it through an email. And so we've set up an email to allow you to ask the questions that we're going to engage in this feature. And so you can email us at anyquestions at theboldspeak.com. That's anyquestions at theboldspeak.com. And that any questions is one word. And this is going to kind of give us a chance to engage with you a little bit more. And I promise that I'll do my best to get to as many questions as possible. And who knows, if I get enough, maybe we'll make it a regular feature on the show. So really excited about that. Again, an opportunity to kind of engage with you. So let's kind of get back to our study now. Now, I do want to quickly remind you that you can purchase the study guide for this study series, No Other Gospel, on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. This will give you some more info on the study, give you kind of a place to to jot down your own thoughts, and uh, it'll also give you all the questions that we go over so you can take notes and kind of get down anything that you uh, feel is important as we go. And as an added bonus, it does support the ministry here at Bold Speak and guarantees that we can keep doing everything that we're doing to bring you the best in Christian education to live the gospel in the lives of everyone around you. So again, very grateful for your participation, for listening, and uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, Now, if you're looking at your study guide, we are now in what's considered lesson four, uh, which is the second half here, and we're on um, that that kind of first section of questions there, which would be page 16, technically, uh, of the study guide. All right, so you'll see a little note there that we've kind of established the law and the gospel of God, that they're kind of distinct, yet both the will of God. And we're going to continue in a lot of that discussion about what it means to have law and what it means to have the gospel. And how do the two relate there? And Paul's going to draw a very important distinction between what the law does and what the gospel does. And so let's get started here. We're going to read from the the book of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to start with just verses 15 through 18. Now, again, if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to be reading through the English Standard Version. If you're listening along somewhere where you don't have access to a Bible, don't worry. I will read it to you. All right, so here we go. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. 
Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So let's get to our questions. Question one. Explain the point Paul is making by his human example in verse 15. Well, a contract, like we know today, is drawn up between two parties. Now, we talked previously about the fact that the interesting thing about God's contract and covenant with Abraham is that it's one-sided. Abraham doesn't have to commit back to God, but God commits to Abraham. And so in God's making or creation of this contract, he makes a promise. And that promise is ratified by God. In fact, it's ratified by God over and over and over again. And here's what Paul doesn't understand. If God makes a promise to freely bless Abraham and to bring about the salvation and the coming together of all peoples through his offspring, which Paul points out is Jesus Christ, then why 430 years later, when the formal law is given in the book of Exodus, why does God all of a sudden change it there if in fact salvation is by the law? It would be like God changing a contract after it's been ratified. And none of us would be happy with that. But let's say that you own a successful business and you're outsourcing a particular part of that business to a company and you draw up a contract. That contract is for them to assist you in specific tasks associated with what you're trying to accomplish. We'll call them A, B, and C. Now you've designated a certain amount of money to go to that company that you've outsourced for the accomplishment of A, B, and C. But what if all of a sudden, in the middle of the contract, somebody comes to you and says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide less money for them to accomplish A, B, C, and D. Do you think that other company would be pleased with that? Do you think that would go over really well? My guess is not, and Paul's expressing the same thing here. Once you've ratified and drawn up a contract, once the parties have agreed to it, once you've signed on the dotted line, that contract is binding. Well, here, God made a contract and a promise to Abraham. The promise was that he would freely give to him that which he promised, which is a son that would lead eventually to Jesus Christ and the salvation of all mankind through him. God's not going to change that contract for no reason. In fact, he's not going to change the contract at all because it's been ratified. And once God makes a promise, his promise is sure. And so for these Judaizers to come in and say, well, now all of a sudden God has changed it and the nature of his promise to us includes a requirement of our doing, Paul says that doesn't make any sense. That's not who God is. That's not what God does. And so this is what leads him to this next section here in verses 17 to 18, and that's question two. What is Paul explaining in verses 17 through 18? Here Paul is bringing clarification to something that's absolutely important for us to understand. He sums it up in verse 18. He says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. The law and the gospel both work together in the life of a believer, but they are two very different things. If something comes by promise, 
it by default cannot have any requirement of action on the part of the receiver. And if it's a contract that's to be uh, filled out or done by the law, then it certainly can't be classified as a promise. This distinction is absolutely vital for what Paul is trying to communicate in response to the Judaizers. If God said to Abraham, I promise you that I will give you this gift, but then later said, just kidding, you have to do these things in order to get that gift, well, then it's not a promise anymore. But we specifically know that God gave this to Abraham by a promise. Yeah, it's getting close to Christmas season as we're doing this podcast, so this is kind of a, a good illustration. Uh, imagine yourself coming down on Christmas morning and the excitement of Christmas morning. And, and as you go down the stairs, you rush down the stairs, and you look under the Christmas tree, and there are tons of presents. And you're super excited. And so you run over the Christmas tree, you grab a present, you're about to tear open the first gift, when all of a sudden your parents come rushing downstairs and they go, wait, 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 wait. Before you open anything, if you look over here on the wall, you will see a list of chores. If you just simply do one of those chores for each chore that you get accomplished, you will be able to open a gift. If you choose not to do any of those chores, I will take all of those gifts back. Criminal, right? But this is essentially the point that Paul is making. If it's a gift, there's nothing you have to do to receive it. And if there's something you have to do to receive it, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a gift. God's promise of the gospel, his promise of salvation given to Abraham did not carry with it any requirement to receive it. In fact, Abraham didn't even have to be a part of the covenant to begin with. He didn't have to sign anything. He didn't have to make a promise to God that he will do X, Y, and Z to get it. God simply gave it because he desired to give it. And that is an absolutely critical point in regard to the gospel. The gospel doesn't carry with it any kind of requirement. And that means it doesn't carry any kind of requirement from us either. That is to say, our forgiveness should not come with a work that the receiver is intended to do. Forgiveness means accepting the reality of what is, and if that person has wronged you, you sort of take that upon yourself and you forgive. Now, there's no requirement of the person who wronged you to do anything to earn that love and forgiveness. The gospel, the nature of the gospel, is pure gift. Pure gift. Now, before we get too much further, we're going to pause for a moment and anticipate Paul's next question. You see, Paul's question is anticipating the question of the Galatians and maybe even the Judaizers who would be then asking this. If the promise of the covenant is free to the people without any requirement of theirs, then what's the point of the law? Why even have the law? And this is, in fact, the question that Paul's going to ask to begin verse 19. Why then the law? Now, as we anticipate that question, we're going to pause and step backward and take a look at the law itself as it's given by God. That law that is given 430 years after the Abraham promise. And that's what's given in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. Now, if you have your study guide with you, you'll see there, there's a couple of things that we want to make sure we take note of before we jump into this. The first is that Israel was just freed from an incredibly long time of slavery. 
in that time, it's likely that they picked up many of the practices and ideas from the Egyptians, so much so that they became kind of wrapped up in much of their cultural life and religious understandings. They understood Yahweh in such a way that Egypt had kind of framed that understanding. The Egyptians told them what it meant to follow their God. And that's why it's also important to note that while they cried to God to rescue them, they didn't really truly understand yet what it meant to be his people. God, Yahweh, was revealing himself to them in a way that they'd never experienced. God gave them the law for a very specific purpose, and it's that purpose that Paul is going to clarify for us. So before we kind of let Paul get into that discussion of the nature and purpose of the law, we're going to go back and read the law. What exactly is it and how does it operate here? So we're going to take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Question 3. In regards to the last lesson's discussion of law and gospel, What's the significance of the way that chapter 20 begins? Well, there's a lot of significance. Verse 2 begins this whole thing by saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes into the first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me. This is how God wants to be identified. He wants us to know him as the God of rescue. He wants us to know him as a God of love, of steadfast love. 
He wants us to remember that he is a God of salvation who is working tirelessly to make sure that we can be in relationship with him. And so as they consider the nature of their worship of him and him alone, he wants that to be framed by an understanding of the gospel, of rescue. In other words, this law that he's going to give is not how he wants to be identified. He doesn't want to be known as the God of law. He wants to know that be known as the God of love. And that is absolutely vital for us to understand that. And this is what Paul's going to bring out. He's a God of promise, not a God of requirement. And we as his church should reflect that love and promise, not the nature of God as some kind of requirement. That's how God reveals himself to his people. And that's the way that we should reveal God to others. All right, question four. In verse 20, Moses explains God's reason for the commandments. What does his explanation mean? And this is a part of this particular section that I think kind of blows past people uh, many times, but it's really important in understanding the purpose for all of this. The idea is that God has given them the commandments so that they'll refrain from sin and thus retain their faith. This is why the notes above are important as we kind of talked about the distinctions here. Israel had little context for what it meant to be God's people. They'd spent so much time in Egypt that they lived and acted more like Egyptians than God's people. So God graciously lays before them the Ten Commandments in order to give them some guidance as to how to live as his people. The law wasn't given as a new means of salvation. Rather, it fits perfectly into the pattern that Paul has established for the relationship of law and gospel. The law is to keep them on the right path to not lose faith. Notice, however, nowhere in there is there any mention of these commandments saving God's people by their faithful execution of them. Rather, the commandments are to keep them from sin that they may keep on obeying him. That is, keep living in accordance with their faith. To say that that they're there so that God can test them, that the fear of him may be before them, is specifically tied to this idea of faith. Many times in Hebrew, when you're looking at the word fear, it's translated as faith. God wants to make sure that they stay within the boundaries of the way that he created the world to work so that they won't walk away from him. See, even the law is directed at faith in the promise. And this is the thing that Paul's going to bring out as we get deeper into Galatians. All right, let's wrap up this episode of the podcast with question five. Understanding what Moses is expressing in verse 20, then, why would God begin the commandments with a prohibition regarding the worship of other gods? So here's what kind of ties it all together. Because this commandment sums up the intention of the commandments, the commandments begin by saying, remain faithful to the true God. Now, how do we do that, one may ask? Well, for starters, don't get involved with the nine commandments after that, because this gets to the nature of sin. See, sin kills faith. That's the problem with sin. As Luther once put it, a violation of any commandment is a violation of the first. The nature of sin is idolatry. 
And so these commandments are intended to help us to stay focused on the promise in our relationship to God and not to do whatever it is that we want and thus become so incredibly independent by our own desires and our own fleshly will that we say, you know what, God, I don't need you. I don't have anything to do with you anymore. And so all of this is wrapped up in faith and denying God, worshiping other gods, worshiping yourself is losing faith. And so we can see that these commandments are a reflection of who we are as faithful people. They are not what makes us faithful people. And it's a really important distinction, a one that, that Paul's going to build on here as we finish off Galatians chapter 3. Again, I really hope you're getting something out of this, that these things are kind of making sense and the kind of the pieces of the puzzle are, are starting to come together as we get a full picture of what it is that we mean when we speak about or think about and live out the gospel. Now, for those of you who've been paying attention to what's been going on in the world, you probably have heard about the death of our 41st president, uh, President George H.W. Bush. We're going to talk a little bit about that and the significance of that on this episode of The Wire. Last week, it was announced that our 41st president, George H.W. Bush, died on November 30th at the age of 94. Since then, the press has done an incredible job at pointing out the legacy of the man, not just in presidency, but as a human being, dedicated to doing everything he could to love and serve others. And in the midst of all of those sentiments, it's just struck me that many seem to focus on his humility, specifically highlighting his letter to 42nd President Bill Clinton and the way he handled himself throughout his life without thinking too much of himself. And I think that's something that resonates with people, given the current political climate. You see, it appears to me that there's been a distinct shift in thinking around the presidency and politics in general that flows in a different direction than the approach to the office of the late President Bush. For George Sr., it truly was public service. Today, looks a little bit more like public promotion to me. Lines are drawn, sides are chosen, and all in an effort to win. But in the end, it just seems like America loses. We lose because we get caught up in sides and in perceived victories, but forget about the real people next to us. We lose because feeling powerful and like a winner makes us forget what it means to serve. I'm reminded of several instances where the disciples are arguing over who is greater, or a moment that had to be incredibly embarrassing for James and John when their mother asks Jesus for prominence for the boys in what she believed to be a new and stronger kingdom of Israel. In all of those instances, Jesus' response was the same. You're confusing greatness with power. In truth, greater than means less than. It means not putting yourself over people or striving to be on top. It means seeing everyone as valuable and working hard to let people know they matter and are loved in spite of what you believe to be a weakness. It's a lesson that we can learn from Jesus and one that it appears George H.W. Bush worked hard to model. I only pray politics can find that model again. 
That's the latest from The Wire. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Again, thanks so much for being with us, and I hope you join us next time as we dive deeper into the book of Galatians. As always, make sure if you want to get the latest information from us that you subscribe to our channels, follow us, uh, get connected to us on SoundCloud and iTunes so you can get the latest releases as they come out. Also, catch us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at forward slash the Bold Speak. Until next time, everyone, I'm Anthony Creeden, and that is the Bold Speak. <laughs>